glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning. He's a good, good father. He's a good God. He's faithful in all of his ways. Goodness, God. 
you, God. And my shield and defender are you, God? Are you, God? You are faithful forever. Are you, God? Are you, God?
Pray. 
things are
lift him up right now. Father, come inhabit the praises of your people.
chapter 22 verse 12 and 13 says see I am coming soon my reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work I am the Alpha the Omega the first and the last the beginning and the end Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Father, we just praise you and we thank you that God, even though the world around us seems to be spinning out of control, we know that you are the one who sits upon the throne and there is no end to your kingdom. For your word has gone forth, your, your edict has gone forth and been sent to the four corners of the earth. And even now the Spirit of the Lord is moving and bringing about a stirring and upheaval that is taking place. God, in your time, according to your fashion, you are doing these things. Even though the world and much of the church is unaware of what is taking place, those who are seeking after you, that are searching after you, going after you, God, they have an insight. They have a revelation knowledge that, Father, there is something that is building. As a wave begins to build, 
and build and build before it crashes on the shoreline. God, you are beginning to stir something and build something up, and it is moving with a force. And when that force hits, when it comes, Lord, it will be a force that has been unseen and since time began, Lord. For in this day, the Spirit of the Lord is moving. The Spirit of the Lord is lifting up a standard against that which is trying to break down the walls of the church. But God, you said, I will build my church and the gates, the authorities of hell itself shall not prevail against it. For there shall be a people and they shall know their God. And in that day, they will do great exploits. So Father, we thank you that this is the time God, give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us insight into the spiritual realm that we would not be walking around as children of the dark, but children of the light, understanding that the Spirit of God is at work and the kingdom of God is expanding and that there is a call that is going out and those that hear that call, they are saying yes. And the answer is yes. I will answer the call. And God, the empowerment of your spirit that is within them is enough for the hour, enough for the moment. God, for too long the church has said, I need more, I need more. And yet, God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that dwells within your people. God, it's not a matter of needing more of the spirit. It's less of us, Lord God, that the spirit might be able to move and have his way in our lives. So, Father, we say, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. God, we give you praise this day. We thank you that this is the day you have made. We choose to rejoice in it. We come into this place of our own free will, not out of obligation, not out of sense of religious duty, but God, because we come with anticipation and expectation and excitement, Lord, because God, where you, where the people of God worship you and praise you, your word says that you are enthroned in the midst of them. You sit upon your throne in place of rulership and that father we can come boldly to your throne boldly to your throne I said boldly 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 not with arrogance but with confidence that we have an audience with the king of kings and the lord of lords Thank you for that promise, Lord. Thank you for it. Hallelujah. I want to know if there's anyone right here right now, you have a situation going on in your life uh, or somebody close to you, and you're just really 
uh, needing God to intervene. Or you may have a real deep burden for them. And, and, and it's just almost, almost to the point of overwhelming you. And, and uh, you want someone just to agree with you in prayer concerning that. Just lift your hand. Just lift your hand. Hold it up high. Look. All right. Now, church, hold your hands up. Don't put them down yet. I want church, I want you to look around. And if you look around, look around. If you see somebody with their hands raised, I want you, if you're a believer and you know that God hears prayer, hears your prayer and answers prayer, I want you to go to that individual right now and just, just lay your hands on them. Just, just put your hand on their shoulder or their hand or whatever. And we're just going to pray right now. We're going to pray right now. If we have access to the throne of God, then let us pray right now. Let us pray right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Hallelujah. Father, you said we are to cast our cares upon you, for you care for us. So, Father, we come before you and we lay them before your throne right now in the name of Jesus. Father, we ask you to move in regards to each and every one of these situations. You know the circumstances. You know the needs. You know that which is required. Therefore, God, we pray, move in such a way that it brings glory and honor to your name and expands your kingdom and what you're doing here on earth, Lord God. That the church of the Lord Jesus Christ can sing the testimonies that come forth and the answers to these prayers. For we ask it in Jesus' name right now. Right now. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Why don't you just turn and greet somebody maybe you haven't had a chance to say good morning to. Introduce yourself if you don't know who they are. If you, or if they don't know who you are. Let's put it that way. Morning, Life Church. Glad you're here this morning. Are you glad you're here? Look at your neighbor and ask him, Are you glad you're here? <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. Put it on the first slide there, please. Amen. Well, it's good to see you today. Praise the Lord. How about this nice weather? Not bad. 
It's the only time I like living in Louisiana. <laughs> this time of year. When it's like this. It'll last a few weeks, I hope. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're glad that you're here this morning. I want to take a moment and just uh, read a, a scripture from Proverbs chapter 30, verse... Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crop. And I don't know if you know this or not, but I looked it up in, and statistics showed that only 10 to 25% of church members tithe. 10 to 25%. Only 5% of the United States population participates in tithing. 5%. That's it. And Christians, on the average, give 2.5% of their income to the church. 2.5%. I'll bet you anything. It's more than that at the local coffee shop. <laughs> I'm just telling you, it really is. And, and, and you may not realize this, that 2.5% is down from the 3.3% it was during the Great Depression. Something's upside down. I'm not going to talk, preach about this. You know this, but I've just been reading Scripture and giving you information at the beginning of each message this year, regardless what you may believe about tithing. And I'm not going to argue with you about it, but I'll tell you it's part of God's Word, and it's very clear in the Old Testament and very many Scriptures in the New Testament. But Jesus calls us to live a very generous life. And we have four ways to give here at Life Church. We have uh, that you can give on the website. Uh, you can um, you can use uh, the the text to give app uh, app. You can do the text to giving. There's envelopes on the back of the chairs and in the boxes in the back. We don't pass an envelope. We don't pass a bucket or anything like that to go around. Um, we just believe that if God's word says to do something. He blesses us when we're obedient. And so that's what we do. So anyway, um, we've been in a series. This is the sixth week, and I really believe that next week's going to be the last week. Seven's a good number. That's a good place to stop it. But anyway, I, I, I want to start off with this little short video that we've been using. Uh, well, it's a different one this time. There's no sound or anything like that. Well, there is a little bit, but I mean... Um, just, just watch for a moment there as you see a transformation that's beginning to take place that God created. God created it. Why would God create that? I don't know. Oh, yeah, I do. I have a good idea. So we're talking about spiritual transformation. And that time-lapse video that you just watched is what biologists call metamorphosis. You should know this by now. Man, I've said this for six weeks now. <laughs> and that the definition of metamorphosis is simply the process of transformation from an immature form to an adult form in two or more distinct stages. 
So to me, the thing that, that you take away from that, and this is not a religious definition by any means, this is just uh, from scientific um, uh, definition. It's the transformation from an immature form to an adult form or mature form, we could say, and it takes place in two or more distinct stages. In other words, it's a process. It doesn't happen over time. And in the simplest form, it still blows my mind to think about this, but the DNA that was in that caterpillar is the same DNA that is now transformed into that monarch butterfly. The DNA does not change, but the appearance, the structure itself completely changes. And that is transformation. And, and transformation is simply defined as a thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. How many of you think that's a dramatic change from that little green creepy thing to that beautiful thing that flies away, right? I mean, that's a dramatic change in appearance and form. I don't, I don't know how else to look at it. But every time we watch that short video, you say, Pastor, aren't you tired of showing? Well, I got you a different one this time. <laughs> you know, it was a little bit different. And, um, but we are reminded that this whole series is about God's plan for making us more and more like Jesus. In our time today, and I realize what time it is, so listen fast, because I'm going to go a little bit fast, okay? Uh, but we're going to talk about something that is very, very important, and that is how to become, I guess I should say, how to become the Christian believer, follower of Christ that you long to become. I was going to say to become the person that you long to be, but that may not be the right thing. Uh, I, I want to be what God wants me to be. How many of you long to be what God wants you to be? How many would say you're not there yet? Right? Both hands. Yeah, okay. I, I, I read this uh, about a week or so ago. I read a little quote from A.W. Tozer. And uh, talking about the business of God. And I'm just going to put this up there for you to see. And it says, the whole business of God is to make us more like his son and to make those who are more like a son to actually behave like his son so that people would understand that Jesus was, in fact, the answer to the world. I mean, God's got a lot of work to do. Come on now. <laughs> We're not there yet. And we've been looking at this in the book of Ephesians, in the Bible, in the New Testament. And, and, and it's in Ephesians chapter 4 that we get an outline today. And, and we, we look at verse 1 of, of Ephesians 4. In fact, we've been in Ephesians 4 for about three weeks or so. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 starts with, Therefore. There's a big therefore. And how many of you know? What's the saying? Whenever you see a therefore, you ask why it's therefore. In other words, it's a summary. Paul has laid the ground, or the writer has laid the ground for their, their statement or whatever, like their case they're building. And now they're bringing it to the focal point. 
therefore, because of this, therefore. And so we see this therefore, and the first three chapters we, of Ephesians, we learn as a Christian who we are in Christ. And this isn't about doing self-effort or self-help or anything else. Look, just a real quick summary. We've learned that we've been redeemed. Redeemed means you've been purchased. You've been bought back, okay? You've been bought with a price. The blood of Jesus Christ is what the Bible says. You've been redeemed. You've been adopted. You have an inheritance. You are in Christ. You are a brand new person. You've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness. You've been placed in the kingdom of light. You've been sealed with the spirit of God. You're part of a new family. God has justified you and declared you to be righteous before a holy God. He has put his spirit inside of you and now he says walk in a manner worthy of this high supernatural calling so that your behavior and your beliefs say the same story. We've learned that much or at least we've, we've talked about that much. We've seen that much and now in verses 7 through 10 he explains where you get the power to change. Okay, he told us this is what that, what he's done is he says what has happened in Christ has already happened in you. And that Jesus, when he died, you died with him. When he rose from the dead, you rose to new life in him. He's defeated Satan and death and sin. And then when you died and you rose, that power of, of Satan and death and sin does not have any power over you. And all the power you need has been deposited in you to become the kind of person that God created and saved you to be. You were created with a divine DNA. And what I mean by that is not that you're a God, but that God put inside you a specific purpose for your life. He's designed you, made you exactly the way you're supposed to be. Look, the world wants to tell you, you need to fit a certain mold, a certain uh, idea, a certain culture, whatever. No, be the person that God has made you to be. Quit comparing yourself to others. They're not you and you're not them. It would, be, it would be a really boring world if every flower in the world was the same flower. I mean, I love to pass a, uh, 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 by a, a patch of wildflowers. They're different heights and different shapes and different colors and but there's something attractive about the whole. And that's what God has done. And so we're, now we're picking up in verses 11 through 16 of Ephesians 4. And we're going to talk about what God is, is, has created and done. And I hope I can do this in a way that makes it simple enough and yet doesn't come off sounding arrogant or anything like that. Because God's ultimate goal for us is change. He did not send his son to die on the cross. I argue with preachers all the time about this. I said, quit telling people God died, Jesus died for their sins. 
You're going to say, oh, well, now you just went off the Bible. Jesus was the price that, he, that God required. His death was the price for, to pay the penalty for our sins. He was the sin price, okay, if I can put it that way. But he didn't die so I can bring my bucket of sins to him and go, they're yours now. Now I can go do whatever I want to do. What I'm saying is he died for you. He paid the price that God required that your sins be erased. Okay? So the, the idea is that he, he paid a price so that we could become that which God wanted us to become. Because of our sin, the Bible says, separated us from, separates us from God. So when Christ erases our sin and, and, and the blood of Christ forgives us of our sin, now we can become what God wants us to be. Okay? And, and, and so uh, a lot of people say, see, God's goal right now for us is life change. So much of the church and the focus of the church and Christians is all about heaven. And can I tell you? Yes, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go right now. I, I pastored a church many years ago, and the pastor before me told me about the story. He was up there, how many of you want to go to heaven? And everybody in the church did raise their hand, but one guy in the back. True story. He said, I said, how many of you want to go to heaven? And everybody, amen. But there's one guy just sat there like this. He'd been coming to church there for years. He walked all the way down the aisle to the back row where the guy was sitting. He said, I want to know how many of you want to go to heaven? And the man looked at him. He said, do you want to go to heaven? He said, yeah, but I didn't raise my hand because I thought you was getting a group to go right now. That's what, he, that's what he told him. <laughs> you know? But our focus, so many times we go, oh, you need to know Jesus so you can go to heaven. I don't know about you, I can't, re I can't even wrap my head around heaven. Just, that song's right about, I can only imagine. Even then I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine. I really can't. But Jesus died and was raised from the dead so that our lives now can be changed. It's not about Jesus died for me and I'm hanging on till he comes so I can go to heaven. That's, that's been the attitude of the church for way too long. The focus is on the now. He did what he did for us that we might experience community where God changes us into the people that we long to become. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says this. Now these are gifts Christ gave to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And, and, and if you look at it in the original I'm not going to get into all that mumbo-jumbo stuff, but you need to understand that these offices are individual. These are, these are, in other words, these are offices in the church. If I get offices, they're leadership positions in the church, and they're grace gifts to the church. The Bible says, and God gave gifts, or God gave, and, and the inference is he gave these gifts to the church. 
Not, and, and, and there's a reason why. In verse 12 it says, their responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. So the reason that God gave these, if I can put it, I hate to use this term, but I'm going to just use gifted people because they're gifts to the church. But to use these gifted people is to equip God's people in the church. Okay, this is totally different from what most American churches are set up. The word equip has a compound meaning. And, and how many of you are builders? I mean, you, you know how to build things, like wood, metal, things like that, okay? There's a picture here he uses. It, it, it's a compound word. It's a picture of, uh, of uh, well, what, let, me, let me just back up. This word equip is a, a picture of a doctor who's resetting a broken bone. Or it's also a picture uh, that was used in ancient literature, a word that where fishermen would mend their nets. Okay? So the word equip means to mend what is broken. Okay? So we go back to that verse again. Their responsibility is to equip the saints or the church members, saints ain't them people up in heaven that somebody said lived a saintly life because you can't equip dead people. Come on now. I'm just telling it like it is. The responsibility is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And, and, and this is interesting because, in other words, this idea here of mending, to mend what is broken, is if something is out of place, then you put it back in the right place so it can function the way it was intended to, to, to it, it was designed to function. Has anybody ever dislocated a bone or joint or whatever? How many of you have ever broken a bone or a joint or whatever? Yeah, more hands go up for that one. Uh, actually, they say that's easier to mend than a dislocated thing or a bruised, you know, a bruised thing. My point is that God says, I've given gifts to the church who can equip people, who can mend that which is broken that's not functioning right, Okay. In other words, like you take your vehicle to a, a mechanic, and if they're a qualified mechanic, they can diagnose why your car's... Right? You hope they can. If they go, sounds good, <laughs> run, take your car somewhere else, you know. Really, um, they can mend that which is broken. So what we see is that gifted people, let's look at this, and they're, they're, they're there to equip people for the work of the ministry. Now, when we think of ministry, so many times, all we go back to is apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those are offices within the church or positions within the body of Christ 
But the word ministry here, the work of the ministry, the word ministry means waiting on tables or service. That's what it means. That's the word ministry. It's, it's finding works of service. It's finding a way to serve. If you don't believe that, what did Jesus tell his 12 apostles? If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, learn to serve one another. You have to, ministry is about serving. We've got an idea that ministry is, oh, we put somebody up on a pedestal and we just, whoo, yeah, man, we're glad. You know, I, years ago, I, I remember Times Square Church when David Wilkerson was making uh, transition from being senior pastor and Carter Conlon was coming in. They had multiple services going on at Times Square Church. And, and so people would ask, is, is, is Pastor Wilkerson preaching which service? Because they wanted to hear him rather than hear the other pastor. And so they would never announce who was, who was preaching. And eventually, Pastor Carter Conlon became the senior pastor and everybody loved him. And after years of time, he'd work in other people on staff and give them an opportunity to preach. And they'd go, it's, which service is Pastor Carter speaking at? They wouldn't tell him. You know why? Because they wouldn't come. They wanted to hear a certain person. But listen, if God's put them in the body, God's given them a voice that brings something else that brings something else you need to hear. Amen. Listen, I'm just telling you, a lot of times people ask me, said, Pastor, we didn't know you were going to be gone last week. I, I'm, it's very seldom I'm not here. But when I'm gone, I don't tell anybody ahead of time. Because they're, I don't know why, but people, this happens in every church I know just about. If they announce the pastor's not going to be there and somebody else is preaching that's on staff or whatever, they're going to go, I'm not going, I'm staying home. And you're wrong. You are wrong in that because your attitude is, I just get fed from this person or I get fed from this person or I get this. You need to hear the whole voice of God, the whole counsel of God, and what they have put, if, they're, if they've been designated to speak or minister, you need to hear what they have to say. Why? Because it will be, in, it's not competition. It, it, it is a completion. It is a bringing together and a melding together what you need to hear. Listen, I can tell you as a pastor and what I've heard from pastors everywhere. So a guest speaker can come in and say something that that pastor has been saying over and over and over. And when the guest speaker says it, everybody goes wild. Woo! Did you hear what he said? And you're like, I've been saying that for three years. Oh, no, Pastor, no, you ain't been saying that. It's true. It's, it really is true. So ministry is like waiting at a table. It is service. So God gives gifted leaders to equip the saints to wait or serve to build up the body of Christ for what purpose? Look at verse 13. Until we all, say all, all, 
till we all attain to the unity of the faith. Is the whole body of Christ unified? No. Therefore, the gifts that God gave, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers still exist, even though most seminaries or cemeteries will tell you that, that apostles have been done, been done away with and prophets have been done away with, yet they still recognize pastors, teachers, and evangelists. You know, until we all attain the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, and if that bothers you, that's what the scripture says. We could put person there if that's, you want to be PC about it, you know. To the measure of the stature of which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So if you wanted to summarize verse 13, you could just put Christ-likeness. In other words, God has given these gifts and he works them. He equips the people in the body of Christ until there is total Christ-likeness. Well, if the church is growing like it's supposed to be, and new people are coming into Christ on a daily basis, then guess what? The work is ongoing. The only time it stops is when there's an attitude of me, my four, and no more. And they're not growing, they're dying. Okay? So, so if I could put a summary up there, it would look something like this. Gifted leaders equip God's people. In other words, if you're, if you're, you're not a pastor or evangelist or whatever, that kind of thing. In other words, he, he, he got God's people, all God's people, to do works of ministry or service so that the ministry happens among us and outside of us so that every single one of us become more and more like Christ. That's the goal. That's what it's all about. That we all become more like Christ. The Apostle Paul uses a number of words to describe it. He, he uses it in this, the process to spiritual maturity. He says, until we all attain the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. This is an intellectual knowledge. This is not intellectual knowledge. Excuse me. In other words, what I mean by that, this isn't like two plus two equals four. This is a relational knowledge. Until we all come into the unity of the faith of the knowledge, the relational knowledge. In other words, it's one thing to know about him. It's another thing to know him. And when we're first born again by the Spirit of God, most of us don't even know about him. We don't know him. We, we just know something has transpired. Something has taken place, and we're thankful for it. And we first learn about him, but about him is not enough. We, we need to know him. Like... How many of you like watching cooking shows? A lot of you. I hate them. Because that is teasing. And then they go, mmm, oh, mmm, oh, mmm. And you're sitting there going, oh, 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 I want to taste that. And you know you're never going to get to <laughs> 
Even if you have the recipe, can I tell you, it's not going to turn out like they do it. At least not the first 25 times. This is a relational knowledge. He said, until we come attain, we can attain to have a relational knowledge of the Son of God. The second thing Paul brings out, he says, until we attain the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man or a mature person. The word mature is a word that means fulfilling your design. That's what it means. In other words, mature, we think of as like, act your age. You know, I've grown up, you know. Well, no, that's, I mean, that may be true to a certain extent, but in the spiritual aspect, it means God designed you to fulfill a function within his grand scheme. You were made to fulfill that function. And part of maturing is fulfilling that purpose that's growing into what God designed you to be. In other words, going from that little green caterpillar thing that nobody would want to play with to that beautiful butterfly that people would go, oh, I hope I catch it. Right? I don't know. Well, I'm not going there. But here's the thing about being mature. We're not talking about being perfect. How many of you know being mature that we fulfill all that God has made you to become? Then look at the next part of the verse. It says, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In in essence, this whole verse refers back to that cocoon of that video that we saw. In other words, God gave gifts to the church, evangelists, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that they can equip the church to do works of service, to do the work of the ministry. And and we do that until we all attain to the fullness of Christ. and, 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 And we're all there. And we're all functioning as we're supposed to function. I mean, that's what that picture is. That's what it's all about, this transformation. And the transformation is God's people learning to function together the way they were designed. One of the most, I think, nauseating things in the church to, to, from God's point of view is, is the lack of cooperation and the amount of competition. I can't compete with any of you in your skill sets. I can't. That's not who God made me to be. When I was in high school, I played just about every sport there was. Uh, But in the spring, um, I, I, I started a golf team. And so I didn't play baseball, but I also ran track. And the crazy thing about it was, so one day we had this day where everybody in school's participating in all these, you know, competing events kind of thing. It was like a free day at school or whatever. <laughs> and they wanted me to run like the 440 around the track. And I said, that's not me. 
because they thought, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it, because I was the number one runner on our cross-country team. But we never ran anything under five and a half miles. And most of our, our runs were seven to 10 miles. And, and I knew from personal experience, I got faster after about the fourth or fifth mile. I got stronger. And I would finish strong that way. But I was not a sprinter. And there is a difference between a long distance runner and a sprinter. But they put me in the third leg of the 4-4. I said, you're making a mistake. They said, well, we don't have anybody else. I said, well, we're going to lose. No, we're not going to lose. They, so they put two guys in front of me that could, boy, they could, they could take the track, man. And they handed me that baton, and I took off as fast as I could, and three people passed me. And I was running full blast, and they're like, man, he's standing still. I said, I try to tell you. I, that's not my thing. I can't be a sprinter if God didn't make me a sprinter. I can't be who you are meant to be. And you can't be who I am. We have to learn to work as we're called to work and that it will come together and it will be a complete and it will be whole. God's people learning why did I say learning? Because we don't know how to do that. It is natural to want to be number one. You know, every kid that scores a touchdown looks in the camera and goes, <laughs> you know. We have to learn to function as a body and, and, and then as we do that, we begin to see God work in a hugely mysterious way, but his glory comes through it. See, incrementally, we become more patient, more loving, more selfish, more caring, more other-centered, and less self-centered. And it happens as the life of Christ forms in us. And then in verse 14 and 16 of Ephesians, Paul gives us the acid test, if I can put it that way, of of to, how to know whether or not you are maturing spiritually. Because there has to be a measurement. I used to teach uh, Christian education teachers. I used to teach Sunday school teachers and people who were taught other people. And I would tell them, your lesson, for all that material they give you, that's not the material, that's not what you're trying to teach. Out of it, you know your class. The people who wrote that material somewhere, they don't know your people. But you need to pick the one thing in that lesson that applies the most to your people, your children, your adults, whoever. And that needs to be, when you walk out of the class, you need to be able to say they know what, the, what that point is or they don't know. And the only way they can know is if it's measurable. Some of you are looking at me like a cow looking at a new gate. Okay, for example, and I would do this every time. I taught this all across several states, and I would teach adults this. And I'd say, write down one goal of your class for Sunday. And I would get things like, my children will know that Jesus loves them. And I'd go, how will you know if they've learned that?
uh, I trust God. No, it has to be measurable. There has to be a way for you to measure, to know that they've learned that. Okay? And I could give dozens of examples. So what I'm saying to you is that Paul now goes on and says, knowing that this is why God gave gifts and that they're to equip the people to do works of service, works of ministry that God's called them to, and they're to do it until we all attain the unity of the faith and we are all together working as one in Christ. He goes on and says, now here's the acid test. Here's where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, where you can know you are spiritually maturing not having arrived, because none of us will arrive until we see him face to face. Because how many of you know you can go to religious services and not be spiritually mature? I mean, religious services are important. We're in one right now, okay? But a lot of people come to church, and yet they're not any more like Jesus than the man in the moon. They're not. They're, they're no more... They're no more like Jesus than you living in a garage makes you like a car. It doesn't happen that way. And you can even know a lot about the Bible, which is very important. But I know a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible, but their lifestyle doesn't match it. I'll never forget the time my wife and I were out on the West Coast in Washington State, and we were out walking down the street, and we met a man, and we decided to hand him a book, uh, the Cross and Switchblade book, and, uh, and uh, just try and witness to him a little bit. This man was an avowed atheist, and he had memorized every word of the Bible. Every word. I was intimidated. I said, I don't believe that. I pulled out my little pocket Bible, I said, tell me what this verse says, and he would quote it. I said, tell me what this verse says, and he would quote it. And he said, now let me give you a verse. I'm like, brother, I ain't there. I ain't there. I said, I know a lot of scriptures, but I can't do that. And he said, I learned the Bible so I could argue with Christians about what they believe. So knowing the Bible doesn't, in and of itself, make you spiritually mature. In fact, Jesus said the Pharisees who knew the law inside, outside, backwards, and forwards, he said the Father wasn't pleased with them at all. So how can we know if we're making progress? There's four specific things, and let's look at them. And the first one is doctrinal stability. Okay, doctrinal stability. And this is becoming even more important in these days. I can't tell you, but I, how many um, uh, messages I received from some people this week about two or three certain videos that are going around the internet um, predicting um, massive things are about to happen in the next few weeks, the uh, next 
couple of weeks, you better be getting money and stashing it away, food stashing it away. You better have your ammo ready. You better have all these things ready because there's going to be signs and the stars and the moon eclipse and sun eclipse and all this kind of stuff and the tribulation starting and the rapture is going to happen and blah, 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 blah. And, they, and I'd listen to these people for about five minutes. And in that five minutes, I'd hear so much error that's not in the Bible. And I'd write back to them, I said, I'm not worried, not losing sleep, because if what they're telling you is not true. We have to have doctrinal stability. Verse 14, why? So that we may no longer, inferring that we have been, no longer be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Literally, it's saying it's people that have the skill of manipulating other people by their craftiness or their, their scheming. And you become mature when you hear someone teaching, quote, teaching the word of God in a Bible study or wherever, and you can spot error. Now, please, I'm going to say this, and, and I mean this all in honesty. There are those on the internet who are what I call heresy hunters. And they listen to sermons of everybody they can listen to, especially the top people out there or whatever. And they nitpick every little thing that they can find. And then they make a podcast about it and they have thousands and thousands of followers. Listen, you may not agree with everything I say. I may not agree with everything you say. But I, John Wimmer, years ago, who, who, who was greatly used and and he was the founder of the vineyard ministry and everything else he used to say when i eat chicken i spit out the bone i don't just quit eating chicken because it's got a bone in it or the old adage if, if mama burned biscuits do you just quit eating biscuits no you just don't eat burned ones in my house growing up you couldn't we couldn't even afford that you you'd go over to the with a knife and scrape off the burned part. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Mama burned the toast. I'm getting it. Mama, oh, he did a good job. Mama, I'm going to need some extra butter when I get done with this, right? The, the difference is you're not pushed back and forth by, oh, you heard this? Oh, I'm over here. Oh, no, I heard this. Oh, now I'm over here. Oh, no, 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 I'm over here. You're wishy-washy. You're being tossed back and forth like a buoy out on the ocean. In other words, when you hear someone on the TV that says, God told me to tell you to, for you to send me all your bills, and I'm going to burn them up on the TV set, and when that happens, you're going to be liberated from them bills. And when you do that, send a $1,000 too. You laugh all you want. I can tell you story after story after story of story of the ridiculous. I'm convinced that non-Christians watch Christian TV just to get their late night laughs. 
because of the nonsense that is perpetuated across whether it's a TV screen or an internet site or whatever. You know, am I saying all, all Christian TV is bad or internet TV? No, it's not all bad. I hope not. We're on internet. <laughs> you know? But I am astounded at some of the most bright and intellectual people in other areas who can be so ignorant about the truth. And part of spiritual maturity is to know the Bible. I'm not talking about being a, 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 an Oxford scholar or something like that, of having like a double master's or doctorate in theology and all that. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about, I'm not talking about people who think they know the Bible because they have a, a little devotional they read every day. You know, the person who says, I've been reading a chapter a day for 33 years. I'm spiritually mature. No, you're spiritually anemic. If all you've had is a chapter a day for 33 years. I mean, I'm talking about people who know that there are four Gospels. You know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Joseph. What was wrong? Oh, you were listening. Okay, good. I'm talking about people who have an overarching... For those who don't know, Joseph is not a Gospel. It's John. Somebody's going to go out on the internet and go, that guy thinks the guy, Joseph wrote a gospel. Those who have an overarching understanding of the theme of the New Testament, people who are reading their Bible through each year, who have fun, they have, uh, they know the major fundamental doctrines of the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the sin, the fall of mankind, salvation, resurrection of Christ, the second coming of Christ. These basic, they, they understand, they have a solid understanding of the, of the end times or last days. You understand it, you're studying it. You're, that's part of being mature. And if your attitude towards this book is, oh God, I need to read a chapter. If I don't, Pastor Bob going to get all over me on Sunday. If that's your attitude, I bet you don't come to the table for dinner with the attitude, oh man, I got to eat something. Really don't want to. I guess I better. Some of you clean your plate twice over and you're looking at your neighbors. My teenage son was at home. He was like that. Came home from work late one night. I was selling insurance. We'd started a church. I was selling insurance. And my wife says, your, your dinner's in the oven. I opened the oven. There's nothing in there. I said, baby, which oven? Microwave? No, the oven oven. I look in the microwave. Nothing in there. I look in the oven. I said, baby, come show me. Where's it at? She goes, it was right there. All of a sudden, we hear a door close. It's my son's bedroom. And she yells, Bobby, did you eat your daddy's supper? Uh-huh, I was hungry. <laughs> he, didn't, he, he was feasting whether, and they, whether he had permission to or not. So you have to have doctrinal stability. The second thing is you have to have relational authenticity. Verse 15 says, but speaking the truth in love, we grow up 
into all aspects, into him who is the head, Christ himself. Can I tell you, it's easy to be a super truthful person, but not loving. It's also just as easy to be, you know, gooey, gushy, oh, I love everybody, but not be truthful. Maturity is being willing to love people that are hard to be around and be truthful with them, even if what you have to say might cost the relationship. In other words, spiritual maturity is you care more about the person or persons than whether they're going to like you or not. You have to have doctrinal stability. You have to have relational authenticity. Third thing is you have to have full participation. Verse 16. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There's three phases or three words here. One is fitted, held together, and the other one's joint. This is where I was going earlier. I'm sorry about the building thing. And, and, and the first one is a building metaphor, the word fitted. And, and, and it's, for example, those of you who know how to do this, I, I remember the first time I tried to do it, messed it up so bad, badly. Ooh, it was a mess. I, I, I thought I'd save a few dollars and put some, some molding in you know, around the top of the a room we added on. And I kept trying to put that, deg- that like 45 degree angle on that thing. And then I'd do it on the other one and they would never come together. In fact, they would just kind of crisscross. And I'd do another one and I'd cut another one. I'd go buy more molding. I'd do it again. I had a miter box saw. I was like, what am I doing wrong? And I was like, duh. It was like, you know, you get in that stupid zone, you know. How many of you have ever just been there? You're stuck on stupid. My wife, my wife went to order a pizza one time and the girl on the other end said, just a moment, please. And she put her on hold. She said, she put me on hold. Finally, the girl come back on, and she says, I'm sorry. She says, I can help you now. I was, my mind was just stuck in stupid for a minute. <laughs> We've used that many times in our lives, you know. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I can't wait. I'm having a hard time with this. You know, I'm stuck in stupid, you know. But what, what, what Paul's talking about when he says fitted, it's, it's where you take a board and cut it at a 45 degree angle on the other board at the opposite and, and when you bring them together it fits together snugly it's fitted so that it's complete and put together the the other the other word is uh joint and and that's not the thing you smoke <laughs> it's a it, this word is a biological word and it means things that connect you know we learned the song as a kid, you know, the hip bones connect to the leg bone, leg bones connect to the knee bone, knee bone. I don't know all the words. That's all I remember. And, uh, and, and then I just know you did something like that. I don't remember at the end. <clears throat> but he's, talk, he's talking about this to where everything connects the way it's supposed to. And, and I've had a total hip replacement. And that means my body was not connected the way it was supposed to be connected for a while. I've had both knees replaced. That was something. Did them at the same time. I was trying to save a few dollars. Had some time. 
But I could tell you, things did not connect well the first couple of weeks. In fact, by the third week, I was crying and thinking I had made the biggest, greatest error of my life. But three weeks later, when I finished therapy four weeks, five weeks early, I said, glory to God, I can get back to work now. But this is what he's talking about. He's saying, according to the proper working of each individual part. You see that? Brother Tiger, you love to go out and street witness, don't you? Yes, sir. Is that your passion? One of them. And he can teach you how to do that. And he's taught a bunch of you. How many of you have gone through evangelism class? How many of you ready to go through another one? Or, or have you never been? It's time to go through it. Look, look there's about eight hands there, brother. Sign-up sheets out in the lobby? <laughs> okay. It's out in the lobby. And um, he can show you, and he, can take, and he will take you out on the streets. And you can learn how to do that. Now, here's what I know. Some people will catch fire with that. They'll go, man, I, this is what I've been living for. And others will do it. And, and they'll give God glory and they'll love it, but they'll go, this ain't my bucket of water. This, this, this is not the thing that lights my fire. Uh, use whatever analogy you want to use, okay? But you can do it. I've done a lot of things in ministry that I didn't want to do. In fact, they, they sh- I, I, I can tell you there should be courses of things you will do in the pastorate that they never teach you in Bible college. Like how to hang sheetrock, how to clean out toilets, and, 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 and I'm just telling you all kinds of things. And, and I've, I've done them, and I don't mind doing them because it's something that needs to be done. I was taught what the Bible says, whatever your hand findeth to do, do it with all your might and do it as unto the Lord. But what he's saying in this verse, according to the proper working of each individual part, he's speaking about every single believer being connected and participating in the church, the body of Christ. And it's only people who become like they long to become that, that happens when they're fully participating. If you think this is going to happen because you come to church once every two weeks or, or you listen online or you have a little devotion that you go by and that's all you do, you're not participating. It's not going to happen. The transformation is not going to take place. But I'm talking about people who discover in the process their gifts. And, and, you, and I'm just telling you, you find something, get in it, and you go, this is not me. Good, but you've learned something else, and you learn, you know what? You learn to appreciate those that that's them. I, I appreciate people who have the gift of hospitality. That's a spiritual gift in the Bible. I appreciate them. They know how to make you feel welcome. Make you feel loved and appreciated? I know some people who don't have that gift. 
And I would not want to be invited to dinner at their house. That's happened before. And we were invited only that we might hear their gripe session about everything wrong in the church. And that's when I developed the 12th commandment. You with the vision get the job. Don't come to me and tell me, Pastor, you know what we need to do? Tell me what you need to do. No, I didn't say me. And I said, oh, yes, you did. Because if you got a vision for it, you see it, you're anointed for it. I'm just telling you. And the last thing for spiritual maturity is, is this. You have to learn to love people like Jesus does. Where is that? Verse 16 of Ephesians 4. The last part says what? According to the individual part that causes the growth of the body for the building of itself in love. Notice that it doesn't say anything about who sees the church grow exponentially year after year. There's nothing, not that there's anything wrong with that. But there's nothing about numbers. There's nothing about buildings. There's nothing about budgets. All it really says is that the real test of maturity is whether we love each other and we love others. If, if you can love other believers, that's big. Because I know a lot of churches, they don't love each other. They sit across from each other just staring at each other down. I've seen it. I wish you'd leave. That's what their eyes say. And they're looking back at them going, you first. I'm, you think I'm kidding. I'm just telling you. And then they'll sing. They'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. <laughs> oh, it's scary. Yeah. <laughs> When you, when you can love each other, that's a big step. Then it becomes, can you love people who are not lovable to you? Or love others who hate you? Oof. Oh, me, oh, my. How, how does God bring the best in us out? How does he bring spiritual maturity? He does something through leaders who equip us for ministry. Then he changes us from the inside out. And as a result, over time, we learn God's word. And then we learn to relate authentically in truth and love. And we each find our role in the body of Christ. And we stop competing and we stop we start complimenting each other. And I'm not talking about just going around going, I appreciate you, but you know, that's a good place to start. I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate what you bring to the table. What I bring, man, your smile. When you walk in and you're smiling, man. Brother Bernard, where's he at? There he is, right back there. Man, I love that brother. I'm telling you, man, he's here early. If he ain't here on time, I know something's seriously wrong. You know, he's here early, but when he comes in, I'm almost 99% of the time, if you haven't gone to him, he's coming to you, and he's going to shake his, your hand, and he's going to smile, and, and, and I say, how are you doing today? Good, fine. 
I said, having a good week? Yes, sir. Man, I love you, brother. I appreciate you. Brother Bernard, I appreciate you, brother. I do. You say, well, nobody recognizes me. Look, can we just understand, if you want friends, you got to be friendly. You don't sit in the corner like this and go, nobody talks to me. I wonder why. You got that growl look on your face. Somebody just dare come talk to me. <laughs> I had a man do that to me one time in a church years and years ago. Every time he'd be talking to people around him, as soon as I'd come walking down the aisle, he'd go like this. And I'd, I'd stretch out my hand, uh, try and shake his hand, he'd keep his hands just like this. He did. As soon as I'd walk off, he'd do like that. I, I told my wife, I said, I'm going to get him next time. Next time he was sitting there and he went like that, I just put my arms around him, picked him up off the pew. I said, brother, it's so good to see you, man. Oh, I love you. He's like, put me down. Put him down. Guess what? Next time I walked up, put out my hand, he put out his hand. God is my witness. That's the truth. We We need to find our role in the body of Christ. People come to me and say, I don't have anything to do. What do you want to do? What, what's God put on your heart? I, mean, I have people all the time come to me. We need this. We need this. We need this. We need this. And I'm like, I'll do whatever I can do to support you in it, but it's your baby. No, find somebody else. I'm telling you, God needs you to be you. You say, well, I don't think I'm the right person. None of us think we're the right person. But if God can use a donkey, he can use me. He can use you. And then individually and collectively, we live this life out in such a way that when people see us and they meet us, they go, wow, there's something different about you. There's something different. You invite them to church and they come and they go, man, there's something different about the people in, in, in that place. And afterwards they walk out and they'll, they'll ask you, they'll say, what do y'all have that I don't have? What, I want, y'all, y'all act like there's hope in the world. What, what, What's the source of this hope in your life? Tell me what you believe and why you believe because it looks like the world is spinning out of control and I want what you have. Please tell me. So let me quickly summarize it. God gives leaders to equip God's people to do service. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And I don't have time to go into each of those things because those each one could be a separate lesson. But I'm just gonna I'm gonna say this. And if I'm, I make you mad, I'm sorry. But I'm just gonna tell you, please be cautious around anyone that insists that you call them by a title or they flaunt their title. Just please. I'm just telling you, 
That's your pastor. I love you too much. I've had people come to me and I call them by name and I say, hey, brother so-and-so, how you doing? That's apostle. Or that's prophet or prophetess or whatever. And I just say, oh, okay. And I walk away. It's not about titles, my friend. If anything, let it be the title that Paul used the most. He said, Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing is, God equips you to do ministry, and God's called you to do it, so do it. Look more like Christ every day. In the American church, we think we hire ministers. You can't hire a minister. The Bible calls them a hireling. It's hire, you're hiring a shepherd to watch over sheep. That hireling doesn't care about the sheep. He's going to run the first time a wolf shows up, first time trouble breaks out. And the thing that we've learned here is that every person has a ministry, big or small. Say that with me. Every person has a ministry, big or small. Doesn't matter. For example, you may, you may host a small group. Or you may be a small group leader. And that's the cocoon that God's chosen to equip you with to help others become more Christ-like. Or let's say you know somebody's in the hospital and they need prayer. Call somebody else up in the body of Christ and say, hey, you believe God will answer prayer? There's so-and-so in the hospital, let's go pray for them. And then you go to the hospital and you pray over them. You read them the word of God and you pray over them and you comfort them. That's ministry. Or maybe you know somebody that's going without food. Maybe because their medicine bill was so high, now they're out of money, it's the end of the month, and you found out about it. You call a couple people and say, hey, can you get, let's buy a little groceries together, and you get together, and you go over there, and you love on that person, and you give them that food, and when they try to tell you no, you just love on them some more, and say, man, you're important. We just want to love you and show you the love of Jesus. That's ministry. We think ministry is having a pulpit. That's your pulpit. That's what God's called you to do. You became a son or a daughter of the living God when you surrendered to Christ. You may need to grow a little bit. You may need a little bit of training. But the last thing I want to let you know is you have been fully deputized by the Holy Spirit to be a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. There ain't no retirement plan in this program here. The only retirement is when we go to meet Jesus. Come on now. And for many of you, you're the only hope in your company. You're the only hope in your division or your department. You're the only hope in your neighborhood. So let me close by giving you a few questions, asking you a few questions. And you can answer these privately on your own. If you don't remember them, go back and listen. Skip to the end of the, the video and you're there. Are you positioning yourself for God to bring out the best in you? Or are you just playing games? going through the motions 
Are you currently being equipped for ministry with others? Because see, that process of transformation can't take place all by yourself. You need to be with others. Are you currently ministering or serving and building up the lives of other people? Or are you tearing them down? Which one? Are you becoming more like Christ in your everyday life? My goal in this whole series is that this week or next week, if you haven't already done it, that you will sometime just take a moment and pray and say, Lord, deep down in my heart, I long to become the person that, that you have made me to be. I, I want to be that person. It's not about my name and lights. It's not about recognition. It's just being who I am, where I am, being faithful. It says when we stand before God, it doesn't say, well done, good and faithful servant who had their name in the limelight. I guarantee you there's going to be a lot of people with crowns bigger than any of the biggest evangelists and missionaries and people who call themselves prophets because they were faithful to what God called them to be. Say, well, I'm not one to go out on the streets. Can you pray? I prayed Wednesday morning for 30 minutes. I prayed, God, raise up intercessors. Raise the people who will stand in the breach, who will stand in the gap. For the, the walls of the church have been breached. The enemy's been coming in. God, raise up people who will pray and stand in the gap and say, not on my watch. You're not coming in until God raises up those righteous voices who will preach with authority and with the anointing of God. God, raise up the intercessors. Help them keep from becoming tired and discouraged and worn out. That's what I was praying Wednesday morning. I can pray, but I'll tell you, I'm not an intercessor. I've seen that. I've seen, I've seen those who have that anointing, who groan in the spirit as they intercede. All I can do is stand back and pray in my own way. It's not what I'm called to do. But when we all come together, the body functions as it should. I was thinking about this at the end. When I was a kid, they came out with a toy called Mr. Potato Head. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? When we first got it, we put it together right. And after that, we put it together every which way. You know? Eyes on the back, nose on the side, and all that. When I was praying about this, that picture came to mind. He said, here's the church. Mr. Potato Head, his mouth is over here, and nose up there, and his eyes over here, and I'm like, 
Lord? He said, yeah, make it right. Pulling out the parts, putting them where they need to be. And I said, Lord, only you can do that. We have to desire that church. Life, church, life. Life stands for life is for everyone. I've talked about is is moot. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, you have to have that first. It means you have to believe that He is the Son of God, that He was born of a virgin, lived a life without sin, He died on the cross, He was resurrected out of the tomb, He's ascended to heaven, and He's coming back again soon. He paid the ultimate price for the sins of all those who will call upon Him. You have to have that relationship. If you've never done that, you can do that this morning and we'll pray with you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. If you're here today and you want to receive Christ into your life, you're ready to surrender your life to Him and give Him full control of your life. And you say, Pastor Bob, would you just pray for me right now? I want you to just raise your hand. Don't be shy about it. Raise your hand and say, pray for me. Otherwise, I'm moving on. Okay, thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand back down. Then would you just pray with me right now? We had someone raise their hand. No, we got two. Let's pray. Would you pray with me right now? Dear God in heaven, pray it with me. Dear God in heaven, I come to you this day. And I recognize that I am a sinner in need of saving. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Purify me of all my sins. Come into my life. I surrender all everything to you from this day forward I am yours and you are mine in your name I pray amen and the Bible says that anyone who has meant that from their heart and prayed that right now has been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the eternal kingdom of his dear son right now. Come on, let's give God praise for that. Now look, you've been sitting a long time. If you want to stand, you can stand, but I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. How many of you would say, Pastor, it's time to become a participator I want spiritual transformation in my life. I want God to make me the person He wants me to be. He designed me to be. That I would have a place that would complement, not compete, but complement 
others in the body of Christ. How many of you would say that's what you want? Just lift up your hand, wave your hand. Most of you, let's pray right now. You tell them that right where you're at. Father, I pray for everyone that raised their hand. You saw them, the majority of people raised their hands all across this place. God, they want the change. They want you to have that change in their life. They want God for you to bring transformation in their life. So Father, I pray right now that the word become alive to them. Those who, who are not in it, God, that suddenly they would see it as a necessity, not something they can live without, but God, they cannot live without. That's where it needs to be first and foremost in their life. And then Father, that they would pray and they would, they would, they would step out, they would try in service in other in other ways whenever an opportunity arises they'll go and try it it may not be what's for them but if anything they'll learn to appreciate those who are called to that kind of service but god let's reduce ministry to an every person kind of thing it's not one or two or three or four offices in the church it's every person who's called and that god we would learn to cooperate together we would learn to appreciate one another we would learn to compliment one another and that we would show it we would love each other for god you said they will know you are my followers by your love for one another god let us really intentionally show that love for one another in in whatever way you lay upon our hearts and whatever person or persons god God, that it would not be a one-time thing or a once in a blue moon kind of thing. But God, it would become a regular part of our lives. And that, Father, we will, we will participate fully. We will support those who are called in certain areas. We will be a right hand to, to those who need a right hand. God, whatever it is, you're doing something great because that was the word you showed me at the beginning of this year. This would be the year of transformation in so many people's lives. And you're doing that. And we give you the praise. It's your work. It's your spirit who's alive and doing it. And we give you the praise, Jesus. Amen and amen. If you need special prayer, come and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, turn to about five, six people and just tell them how much you appreciate them. God bless you.